When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The old world is dying. The new world struggles to be born. Now is the time of monsters. Uh, with those words from Gramsci, I welcome you to the Time of Monsters podcast, sponsored by The Nation magazine. Now, I think most people in the world are like horrified and upset at what's happening in the Middle East, both the Hamas massacre of a month ago and the subsequent Israeli counteroffensive, uh, which has uh led to the deaths of thousands of civilians and, and is risking a wider regional war. And we're seeing, you know, some of the most uh, upsetting images and events of, of a recent modern history. So, and for, I think, uh, the average person, uh, you know, they might have disagreements as to where they stand on some of the issues of how justified Israel is or is not. But I mean, it's clearly a very upsetting event. But there's a segment of the population that's not so much upset by these events, but uh, is possibly quite excited because these events for some people portend not just, you know, violent death and displacement and suffering, uh, but also possibly the return of the hand of God into the, this earthly kingdom. They, they portend Armageddon, which, which, you know, like to most people is a terrifying prospect, but, you know, like if you are a particular caste of religious believer, well, that's actually good because, uh, you know, like, yeah, even though there will be some turmoil with the Antichrist and the final battle between good and evil, at the end, you will get a new heaven and a new earth and, and things will all work out. So, 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 so this week, I want to take up the people who, are, you know, are kind of looking at the news right now that we're all looking at and thinking like, oh, this is, this is working out well. This is the things are looking up. I'm talking particularly about the sort of brand of American Protestants that are coming out of the charismatic and Pentecostal tradition who have a very specific view of the way in which events in the Middle East are evidence of biblical prophecy coming true. And that influences how they vote. And these are not insignificant people. They are, in fact, a major part of the Republican coalition. So my colleague, Chris Lehman, wrote about them in a recent Nation column, which will be linked to in the show notes. And I wanted to talk to, to Chris about this because, you know, like Republicans are half, you know, of American political system. They control Congress and there's considerable evidence that either these views or, you know, people who are like neighbors to these views hold, you know, very powerful positions as they exist. And they certainly are people who, you know, have the ear of the likely Republican nominee, presidential nominee, Donald Trump. So, so Chris, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you. It's always a pleasure. So, uh, yeah, let, 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 let's just basically just start by getting a sort of factual description. Who are these people and, and, and what do they believe? Well, you gave a good sort of thumbnail account of the origins of this strain of prophecy belief, which you know, go pretty deep in American history, in American Protestant history, I should stipulate. And the, it's a tradition called premillennial dispensationalism, which is a mouthful. It comes out of a, a sort of cranky British theologian named J.W. Darby, who put together a, a kind of telescoped 
version of how the end times would unfold in the modern era. And it was taken up pretty enthusiastically among prophecy believers in the United States, in part because, you know, America has always been kind of high on its own supply in terms of (laughs) its role in history and wants to be in the vanguard of, you know, what Protestants believe is the ultimate redemption of fallen earthly history. And that does involve the literal onset of the the final battle at Armageddon and then the, you know, Perusia, the, the kind of second coming and judgment, final judgment. And so throughout American history, what's kind of interesting is, is a couple of things. One is the original Pentecostalists were kind of an outcast movement within modern Protestantism. They were a lot of poor dirt farmers in Oklahoma and Texas, and later African-American believers in a a critical uh, revival in Los Angeles. But, and this is a story of denominationalism in in the United States writ large, they become very influential and rich, (laughs) basically. (laughs) And so you have this weird, you know, the prosperity gospel, for instance, comes out Mm -hmm. of the Pentecostal tradition. Joel Osteen, who's the most, you know, famous prosperity preacher out there was schooled in what's known as the seed faith branch of Pentecostalism, which holds, you know, you pray, basically the crude scheme is you pray for riches and God showers them down on you. And that's how you know you're saved. So this exists alongside this kind of end times, everything's going to, you know, fall apart and God's going to come and, and, you know, as you say, grant a new heaven and new earth. And what's critical for these believers is the state of Israel. The you know founding of modern Israel in 1948 touched off a, a sort of boomlet in prophecy speculation because, you know, it's kind of foretold, you know, first that the Jews will come back to ancient Judea and then convert to Christianity as the the final sign of, of the end times. And so that's one important thing to mark in the the prophecy tradition embrace of Jews, which, you know, Net, Netanyahu, the prime minister, has aggressively embraced John Hagee and these other sort of militant Zionist Protestants in America because he believes, you know, he's making the crude and I think accurate political calculation that they advance his interests. By... Yeah, and, and he's doing it at a point in which more traditional groups that had right. supported Israel are souring on them. I mean, one sees it, you know, like in the Jewish community, like especially among younger Jews, there's a sort of real dissatisfaction. And uh, a lot of the you know mass protests that we're seeing against Gaza uh, right now uh, in New York and elsewhere have been led by, uh, you know, young American Jews, but also beyond them, the sort of broader liberal community, which had been like, you know, like more Zionist than than conservatives in the fifties, sixties, and seventies. You know, as the nature of the Israeli occupation has come to light, has sort of soured on that. So, so if you're if you're, I mean, the political calculation is, you know, like, well, we're losing these groups. We have to find another support, and yeah, and, and if it's people who think that, you know, like, you know, our state exists. So that there'll be a World War III will happen and all the Jews will become Christian. Well, you know, yeah. I, I think Irving Kristol, the neoconservative, put it very cynically, but accurately when he said, well, they have their theology and we have our state. I think their theology won't come true, but we'll still have the state. 
Yeah, no, no. And I think that's exactly, you know, Netanyahu's bet. It's the same bet he's made in aligning with militant religious fanatics in Israel. You know? Yes. This is kind of the only constituency he has left to court. But yeah, the it's important to note that, you know, Hagee and, you know, Hagee also has a long history of personal anti-Semitic statements. Mm-hmm. And this kind of embrace of Israel is not cognate with any sort of appreciation for Jews remaining Jews. They're supposed to convert. And uh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, basically hand over the state in the service of the, the, the end times theology. So, yeah, no, no, no. I mean, yeah, Hagee in particular, like, seems like, like really, I mean, he, he basically said Hitler, as you quote in his, your article, as a, was a half mongrel Jew, you know, and had very other disturbing things. But more broadly, yeah, this evangelical tradition, I mean, like, you know, it doesn't like Jews like in the diaspora, right? Like those, they have really no, they have actually a bad role. They're, they're, they're not being part participating in the, the, the narrative of the final apocalypse. They're, they're, they're spoiling things, right? And then, and then more broadly, I mean, I, I do think there's a connection between, you know, Netanyahu's willingness to court, you know, this group of people who are, you know, anti-Semitic Zionists with his alliances that he's formed with people like Viktor Orban or the, you know, Law and Freedom Party in Poland, you know, of, of groups that are, you know, have at least some anti-Semitism in a European context, but are okay with Israel because, you know, like, well, that's a place where Jews can end up, right? Like you, you want, yeah. So, 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 I mean, again, it's a very cynical logic there, but, but, but there is a logic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Under present conditions, you can see how it plays out and it is playing with fire. I mean, yeah. one of the first things that Hagee did after the October 7th attacks was he, you know, uh, gave this fiery sermon from his home congregation, basically calling for war with Iran right away. Mm. And it's important to note that Israeli diplomats were there in attendance and prominent Congressional conservatives like Ted Cruz and Tom Cotton videotaped statements, you know, just not necessarily <laughs> calling for instant war with Iran, but, you know, definite, you know, statements of affinity with Hagee and the, mm. the larger project. So, yeah, this is dangerous stuff, especially yeah. as you noted, you know, this constituency of, well, two things. One, as you noted, they are a very significant element of. Trump's base. And Trump is increasingly coming to recognize that explicitly. He talks about evangelicals much more Mm -hmm. out on the stump. And second, you know, this Pentecostal strain of prophecy belief for a long time has been sort of mutating and taking over American evangelicalism writ large. So it's no longer this kind of crank, you know, series of of manic charts and arrows that that it began Mm -hmm. with. It's stuff like the, you know, vastly popular end times of fiction, Hay and Jerry Jenkins, the Left Behind books. It's the late great planet Earth, which was the best-selling nonfiction book of the 1970s. You know, this is, you know, beyond sort of traditional denominational and theological categories. This is like a, a category of wish fulfillment thinking on the Christian right that is... I think on the vanguard of how they think about world affairs, and it's it's really worrying. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I think the distinction that you made, like between the sort of you know broader evangelical world and Pentecostals, I mean that was a it's a it's a line that's blurring, and and I, I think it's worth the uh, just saying a little bit about the history of that because I mean traditionally, and I think this is true until the seventies and eighties, 
you know, people that, you know, we might think of as, you know, like very conservative or right-wing evangelicals like Jerry Falwell, they were, they were actually, you know, in the 70s, like a little bit wary of the Pentecostals, like on theological grounds. That the, you know, like, like the, you know, the Pentecostals had all these things like, you know, speaking in tongues and, and believing in like actual prophecy, like like individual preachers being able to like foresee a faith healing. You know, like, like these are things that like within the Protestant tradition, you're a bit wary. I mean, wary of, I mean, particularly like, you know, like in a lot of ways, the original Protestants were, you know, like trying to demystify religion to actually turn it into like theology and get rid of the, what they saw as the magic components of Catholicism. But all those magic components have returned like with a vengeance, the return of the repressed. And so in the seventies, they were kind of wary of it, but like out of political alliance, uh, but even more broadly out of their, out of the significant changes of their own congregation in a mediaized culture you know they were finding that their own people were like starting to listen to these things and you you got to bring the line between evangelicals so that you know like like like, like sort of belief in things like spiritual warfare you know prophecy faith healing has become a much more mainstream thing and this is accelerated i mean we would see this already in the 70s and the 80s where people like pat robertson uh, you know, we're increasingly working with uh, people like Jimmy Swaggart, but it really accelerated in the Trump era. This is something um, I'll link to it, but Sarah Posner uh, um, has written a lot about, and she did a podcast with me. And she really, I, one of the points she emphasizes is that this, this sort of charismatic Pentecostal Christianity has become much more, more mainstream under the Trump era. And and one sees it in all these concerns of like sort of spiritual warfare, conspiratorialism, of, you know, like literally seeing Hillary Clinton as a demon, a demonic force. A while ago, I interviewed the great religious historian Anthea Butler, who Mm -hmm. who basically said evangelicalism isn't evangelical anymore. It is Pentecostal. There is this, you know, rampant popular embrace of the idea of demons and the idea of spiritual warfare, as you're saying, what's known now is the Seven Mountains movement, which comes out of the new apostolic reformation, which is a Pentecostal development. It's interesting in one sense because it's post-millennial. It's not in the same vein of prophecy belief, Mm. but it's because they have so firmly embraced worldly power for its own sake that they, they just want to keep the franchise going. <laughs> they don't want to blow it all up at the end. And it is, you know, it's kind of a gloves off version of the old religious right model where, again, because of the, you know, what was seen as the imminence of, of the final judgment, you know, Falwell and Robertson and others basically preached, you have to provisionally seize control of, you know, the political sphere, the media sphere, the, the sphere of culture, at, in sort of a caretaker fashion, but mm-hmm. the the new apostolic reformation doesn't truck with any of that. <laughs> you know, it is all about you know the seven mountains are things like the the media, the family, the academic culture, the whole sweep of you know the institutional life has to come under dominionist Christian control, and it is also explicitly anti democratic. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's operating on a model of biblical kingship, ultimately. Mm-hmm. So this, yeah, this Lance Wallnow, who's like, you know, wrote a influential Protestant pro-Trump tract back in uh, 2016, calling Donald Trump, you know, Christianity's chaos candidate. This is, you know, the the sort of best known new apostolic reformation 
figure out there. He's incredibly influential. There are these, you know, the Moms for Liberty has a very legible alliance with the new apostolic reformation movement. And you'll see at these gatherings, you know, these businessmen kind of taking up the sword of faith and, you know, basically professing that they're going to take control over everything and they're serious. So, yeah, and, and it it did, you know, all get supercharged by Trump's 2016 candidacy mm-hmm. and, and the continual influence of Trump and the Trump, the MAGA movement. Paula White, who is, you know, loosely understood as Trump's personal pastor, who allegedly sort of stage managed, you know, something like a conversion on Trump's behalf, <laughs> uh, is a Pentecostal prosperity uh, preacher. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. Although I, I have to say, I mean, I, I've seen the photos where Trump is sort of like uh, bowing down in prayer with these Pentecostals. And I don't think he looks particularly at ease or comfortable. Who, who, who am I to question another man's faith? But, and, you know, the Lord works in mysterious ways. That's, that's, it. that's it. That's right. That's right. And, yeah. You know, back, speaking of the 70s, uh, um, Pentecostals were the most active in recruiting um, the American business community um, into. Um, you know, what were basically the 20, 20th century version of the old businessmen's revival of the late 19th century. Mm-hmm. So there is this, you know, longstanding alliance and, and you know, the prosperity tradition is the, the legacy of it. But, yeah. you know, that's well, I mean, I mean, this is a very worldly form of Christianity because, yeah, it is like, you know, God wants us to get rich and he wants America to be powerful and to yeah. like, you know, smite or smote the the enemies of the United States. Yeah. Uh, and it, yeah. It's also importantly, like very counter institutional in the, the ways. Mm. Of, I mean, they want to control institutions, but they don't mm. want to um, sort of observe traditional modes of pluralistic deference within them right yeah 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 and, and also, i i mean you, know, you you had mentioned earlier you know the kind of drift away from theology in the american tradition and um the pentecostal movement is very much the vanguard faith in that direction it's all about what you know what has been called primitive christianity direct experiential worship stuff like you were saying speaking in tongues or snake handling as those are illustrations of the forms of worship described in the book of Acts. And, you know, yeah. the idea is that modern day Pentecostals getting rid of all the institutional accretions of corrupt, you know, Catholic and Protestant faith and going back mm-hmm. to these you know, kind of direct channels with, you know, prophecy and, and spiritual experience. And that's a very mm-hmm. powerful tradition. And the, and the drift away from, Theology is really important because there's no longer an effort to reconcile these kind of practices with, you know, traditional forms of discourse or, you know, traditional kinds of churchly observance. It is all kind of out on the frontier of, you know, direct experience. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, in some ways, I mean, I think that's a really great point. Like so much of this religion, like it seems to be like exactly the American religion. Like it's very much in keeping with the American society, uh, you know, like that has come out of, you know, after World War II, like, you know, with the sort of, you know, triumph of media and television, with the sort of individualistic capitalism uh, and with America as a global power. Right. And there's ways in which, yeah. I mean, you know, 
I think there's a tendency among some people on the left or perhaps even the former left as our late colleague Christopher Hitchens to like sort of mm. see uh, all these extreme religions as like antithetical to modernity, antithetical to, you know, what we rational people believe. But it's all a product. I mean, the apocalypticism like flourished because of the Cold War. Like if you have American presidents yeah. saying that, yeah, you know, yeah, we're, we're in the... We're in the final battle between, you know, like godly America and godless communism. That's going to stir up like people suddenly uh, listening to Pentecostals. That will encourage people to say like, oh, you know, Absolutely. like the president is saying. Yeah. Now, if you go back yeah. to the Billy Graham's landmark revival yeah. preaching again in Southern California in the, I think, late 40s, if I got the date right. But it was right after uh, China tested uh, the nuclear bomb. And so it is all about, you know, the end is nigh and, you know, it's it's going to happen because, mm. you know, of nuclear pro- proliferation. Mm. It's all very explicit and upfront. And yeah, that is, you know, it's, it does so happen. I wrote an entire book about all this. Yeah, I know for a fact you've read many books about all this because uh, you're very yeah. well versed in the, the history of American By religion, which, which is, I, 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 and yeah, yeah, no. So, so there's, you know, the apocalypticism of the Cold War fed into this, but also the sort of individualism and celebration of worldly yeah. success uh, that, that is very mainstream in American culture, yeah, the celebration of celebrity and media culture. So you have these celebrity preachers, the distrust of intellectual life and the anti-intellectualism of American yeah. life. That That's not just true of Pentecostals. And, and in some ways, they're doing the same thing that everyone else is doing. I always think about the fact that, oh, who was the guy, Jimmy, was it Baker who, who had the sex scandal to Tammy Faye and... Well, actually, I, yeah, uh, Swigert had one. I think uh, yeah. Baker. The Bakers were just traditional, though. He, yeah, I think he did have an affair. He slept with the, the church secretary, which is a, right, right. a very traditional yeah. American thing to do. Nah, yeah. But, but I always remember that he he became like a preacher and ordained when he was like eleven, right? And you you could do that because, like, if you're yeah. if faith is all that matters. And at, at that point, I think he's admitted in an autobiography, he actually didn't read the Bible and actually had not ever read the full Bible until after he went to prison. Well, well he read the Bible in prison uh, as an adult, but, but he was like an you know, like a ordained minister. And and this is very much, part, but, but, but that is also coming out of sort of American democracy. Like, who needs all this book learning? You know? who, know, needs, know. And, who, uh, who needs Augustine? Who needs Calvin, right? Like, who needs... I mentioned Joel Osteen earlier, and he his degree is in communications oh. from Oral Roberts University, fittingly enough. And uh, yeah, he has absolutely no theological background. And so, you know, when you go to, as I have, I've attended Joel Osteen revivals, and he's he is talking about old-fashioned faith healing. And, you know, the, the proof of divine favor is always, you know, I, well, he also says things like, you know, God intercedes in his life to give him a good parking space. And, and, well, there you go. I mean, I mean, that's a very, very practical God. I, 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 I allowed him to flip a house before the 2000 <laughs> meltdown. So like it is it. And, but of course the big problem with this brand of prosperity preaching, which, you know, it's, it's, it's not being put to test the same way now in, in the Middle East conflict, but you have the problem of if God is favoring you with wealth, he must be punishing the poor. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a very retrograde and reactionary, you know, way yeah. to sanctify the inequality of capitalism. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Although, I mean, I, yeah, I, I think there are like interesting sort of parallels like with the Middle East, if, if yeah, God does have certain people 
you know, in plan as the sort of, you know, chosen victors of history, which they actually see as Christians, right? Like the Jews are the kind of, you know, handmaidens or, you know, like. Yeah, uh, it's, it's a purely instrumental role. That they're yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, but, 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 but that also means that like the actual people living there, you know, like the, you know, the Palestinians or, you know, like the broader Arabs and Persians who will have to die in these wars. Well, you know, like they're you know they're not part of God's plans, right? They're, okay, or right. they're part of God's plans as the defeated, as right. the collateral damage. They're yeah, not yeah, to be thought of in, yeah. in prophetic terms really at all. Again, what's so dangerous of having a, a character like Hagee being so influential in the modern conservative movement? I mean, John McCain was forced to disown Hagee after getting his endorsement in two thousand eight because precisely because of the anti-Semitic things mm-hmm. Hagee has said in the past, but there's not, you know, now Hagee is in the mainstream. Yeah, um, he's in the mainstream. And you, you mentioned like he was involved with the, like the ceremony when they moved the American embassy, which itself, I mean, okay, there's that, a, that a big concession to the evangelicals was yeah. the embassy in Jerusalem. Yeah. yeah, which itself is like, you know, like it has real world geopolitical consequences because like you know the, the, the jerusalem uh, control of jerusalem you know like uh, this multi-faith city is a big part of like what's the point of contention but but to have like you know this diplomatic move which was made by trump but then you know like basically agreed to by the biden administration the big pushers were the evangelicals and the one of the the participant of the ceremony was you know this lunatic <laughs> anti-semitic <laughs> lunatic he proclaimed at the occasion that Jerusalem is the eternal capital of the Jews, which is, you know, just a very charged <laughs> assertion. In, in yeah, yeah. And, and uh, again, not not made for the sake of the Jews. That is no, 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 absolutely not. No, no, no. But yeah, which but Netanyahu, for his own reason, is very happy to have that. No, I. So yeah, no, it's it's a very troubling thing. I I want to. Though, like, uh, rounding out the conversation, like, like maybe make a point about the broader relationship of of all a faith of many different branches of faith in this conflict. Because I do think, like, you know, like especially we once saw it during the war on terror era, there was a kind of you know centrist liberal, sometimes formerly left. As in, as I mentioned, Christopher Hitchens' view, which just sees religion as the problem. Religion, you know, like as Hitchens says, you know, right. poisons everything. And that at the time, I always found that like a very, itself a very stark and Manichaean uh, yeah. view because, like, like, you know, religion is a very complex uh, thing that has existed, like, for, you know, uh, throughout human history and takes many forms. Um, and w- w- within, like, the, the sort of uh, Middle East, I mean, like, you know, there, there's very, we, we all recognize there's very many different types of Judaism, the many different types of Islam, and there's also many different types of Christianity. There's an older sort of, you know, liberal Protestant and also Catholic tradition of engaging with that region with a, a view towards promoting peace. A lot of, you know, liberal Protestants are involved with refugee relief. The Pope himself has been calling for a ceasefire. But also, and I think this is very important, they're, you know, like Christians in the region, like throughout the Middle East and in Israel. And these are, you know, people who have been, you know, among the Palestinians, but also other communities that have been Christians there for long periods of time. And what I think is interesting is the way in which this kind of, you know, Pentecostal view, it has the effect of totally marginalizing or even like eclipsing or making invisible 
these Christians, you know, because like they are yeah. also victims of this. You know, there's a church no, in Gaza. Which... Right. And um, um, it's absolutely true. It's it's kind of, you know, weirdly, they're kind of in the same position that a lot of secular minded Israelis are vis-a-vis Netanyahu's yeah. you know, alliance with religious fanatics in Israel. They're like, you know, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> like, and you're also uh, jeopardizing our lives and home. You know, it is a yeah. very direct kind of threat to you know what, as you've known, is is you know in some cases you know centuries long Christian presence in the in the region. So that's the other, you know, those people too are just kind of instrumentalized and shoved to the side. It's not, you know, if if they're not going to get on board with, you know, basically, you know, throwing over their their homeland to to the project of bringing, you know, the second coming to pass, the John Hagees of the world have no use for them. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no that, that's exactly right. And so, I mean, maybe tying it in with what you said earlier, which I thought was a great point. You know, this this is like you know Americanizing the faith. So, yeah. so, so the oh, true Christianity absolutely. is American Christianity. So the fact that there are these you know historical Christianities that like long predate the United States that, as a... it's a big inconvenience to to the prophet the American prophecy faith. And again, I write about this in in my book a lot. It. It's 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 hilarious, actually, if I don't recommend this to our, our listeners, but if, like me, you have read all 12 volumes of the Left Behind series, mm. the main action usually is it makes no sense in terms of either actual scriptural prophecy or, you know, the, the weird military engagement that's happening under the what's called the Tribulation Force, who is this band of people who weren't swept up in the rapture, <laughs> but yet somehow have to battle the antichrist anyway the the main action across these 12 novels is always you know they have to like jet into the middle east to like you know kill a bunch of dudes but then they always have to go back to the united states and then it makes zero sense like your logistic base of operation is four thousand miles away from the main action like what are these guys doing but of course it has to be that way because americans have to be leading the vanguard and and making the 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 second coming happen it is really demented if if you just think about it in <laughs> terms of like okay if, if you're plotting out a war for to yeah. redeem the the middle east like why are you based in chicago <laughs> well yeah yeah no i mean but it is i mean yeah part of this american creed that i mean jesus was yeah. an american who spoke english you know yeah, with, no, with a good a good midwestern accent you know blonde yeah. blue-eyed jesus um, I, I mean that's why i you know it's it's a case of both more that both pentecostalism and mormonism are the signature american they're they're the face that basically won the second great awakening and and come out mm-hmm. as like the Ur-American faith. And Mormonism, of course, contrives to create a whole alternate scripture <laughs> and a version of events in which, you know, the this, you know, sort of vagabond tribe of Israel migrates to the United States and the Garden of Eden is in Missouri. Like, it is yeah. all, like, it's a, it is really a kind of genius on Joseph Smith's part <laughs> to sort of intuit that this is what American believers really want. And, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I mean, I, yeah, and I maybe just to, to sort of end this. I mean, it is interesting. I mean, there there are alternative 
Christianities and, you know, one of the great American lyrics, you know, in the beauty of the, the Battle Hymn of the Republic says, right. you know, in the beauty of the lilies, Christ was born across the sea. But, you know, like I think this form of religion asks, well, what if he wasn't? What if he wasn't born across the sea? What if the beauty of the lilies is right here in America, that this is God's promised land and that it will have the right to remake the world in its image, including the Holy Land, right? Like very much that, including the Holy Land. Yeah. 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 So, so, so. I mean, which is why you know it, it all ties together. The, the 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 product the project of trying to dominate the American political system is particularly doing God's will, and then it also you can you know take those beautiful lilies and then turn them into a nice American garden. There, there you go. Exactly. <laughs> okay, good. So anyways, Chris, thank you. This has been a very enlightening, although also terrifying conversation. Hey, well, that's, that's my franchise. Yep. <laughs> thank you, Jade. It's always, as I said, always a pleasure. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.